Welcome, everyone, to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker. I'm joined, as always, for our Fallout show by Santiago Beltran. And we've got a fun one for you this week. It might not be on the heels of a win, but we're in the throes of the League's Cup group stage. We have a match to look back on, one to look forward to, and we're going to cover it all. But before we get into our 2-1 loss against the Columbus crew, Santi, how you doing? And are you still awake after last night's match? <laughs> yeah, Matt, still awake. Uh, only a few hours of sleep because um, I had something uh, going on this morning. But hey, we're here. We're going to talk about the game. Uh, it's been a while since we had a, a fallout um, after a loss. So... Yeah, for for better or for worse, uh, this is uh, trying to get on get get used to a loss, and we'll we'll dig into everything that we need to, and we'll bring some positives as we usually do out of this match because there were some positives to take away after, especially after you look at a replay and kind of get a, a fresh set of eyes or um, a, a later on in the day set of eyes because technically we are recording this on the day that the game finished. Right. True. Yeah. Okay. So let's jump into the starting 11. Let's get into the game flow. This was a rotated match. We ran out Ben Lunton goal for his first start since the U.S. Open Cup. Our back line was Jake Nerwinski, uh, John Bell, Lucas Bartlett, Johnny Nelson, Miguel Perez, Edu Leuven in the midfield. We had Celio Pompeu, Tomas Ostrak, Rasmus Alm, and then Sam Adeneron up top in kind of a 4-2-2-2 formation or a 4-4-2, depending on how you looked at it. Santi, this set off all kinds of comments, all kinds of discussions. <laughs> it was as we thought it could be because there was discussion about what is a rotated roster going to mean? Does it mean we're not taking this seriously compared to league play? Does it mean we're resting players for Club America? Does it mean that we're just needing to get Parker, Berkey, all those guys who have been playing such heavy minutes and in fact played a little bit in the All-Star game? some extra rest and not travel those players. And that's what it kind of ended up being. But the stat that I really enjoyed uh, from the beginning is that going into this, eight of those 11 players came into the match with at least nine starts in all competitions. And overall, I thought that they didn't play terribly poorly, especially in the run of play. I mean, we're going to get to the goals, but they came off of, uh, they came off of set pieces and they came off of stoppages. And so there there's, there's, Definitely some good. There's definitely some bad, and there's a lot of meh going on with this to me. Yeah, yeah, it was obviously a, sur- a surprise when when the lineup was released, and yeah, a lot of bad comments. Uh, the way I see it, I think um, so. Yeah, you have the the element of needing to rest like Parker and Berkey, but I also see it as keeping the best lineup uh, fresh for Club America. And um, yeah, maybe the team is taking a calculated risk that, okay, we lost to Columbus. If we beat America, we're in, and we're going to talk about all of those scenarios later that may not be, uh, may not happen, but, but it's still like, if you think about it, you're going to play uh, against a team from Liga MX. Uh, you have a chance to, uh, to win that game, show, uh, MLS and Liga MX that that you can hang out uh, with the biggest team in Mexico. So that's one way I see it. The other the other way I see it, um, I think um, yeah, rotated lineup. But at the same time, you have to give so you have to give opportunities to some of these guys. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, uh, maybe some people will say yeah, but the league's cup is not for that. But I think 
the way I'm seeing it, the team is uh, used basically Open Cup and also uh, this first game of Leagues Cup has used uh, those games to give opportunities to guys who haven't had a lot of minutes. And you have to give them minutes at some point. You have to see what, what they can do. So, um, so yeah, it's not ideal and, and the team lost, but, but yeah, you have to do it at some point. And don't forget, with this group stage that we're in with three teams, St. Louis, Columbus, and Club America, we are at the disadvantage of playing two games so close together. We're the only team in the group that has this misfortune because Columbus played last night as we're recording this on the 23rd of July. They don't play again until July 31st. They get eight days of rest. So they can play their A lineup. They can play their A lineup in the second game. Full rest. Not much different. I've heard that Columbus is giving their players a couple of days off, similar to what City did during right. the All-Star. So they're, they're business as usual. Club America is similar. They last played in league play on July 15th. We're going to talk about their run of form later, but they get a massive rest until their matchup this Thursday against us. They're going to be interesting to watch because they play Thursday and then the following Monday, but mm-hmm. who are they going to run their A lineup out against? We have the the misfortune, so to speak, of two games in five days. And when you're going against an MLS team on the road, we've talked ad nauseum about how difficult that is in general. So it is not, it, I don't think we can fault Bradley Carnell or the staff at all for using that kind of prioritization. Because it's both a combination of of prioritizing the home match, which is the the more winnable, just in this in the concept of away matches in MLS are inherently extremely difficult to win in general. But also the the level of competition that we're going to face against Club America, both on the field and the spectacle of it all, is unlike anything we've seen so far. It's more it's it's bigger globally than Sporting Kansas City. It's bigger globally than Chicago Fire. Anything like that. Because Club America is the biggest club in Mexico. This is this is the one that's going to have the eyes. This is the one that's going to put our guys to the test. And you want your starting 11, your best 11, to be fresh, to be available, to prioritize that, so to speak. So knowing how midweek matches have gone so far, thinking back to LAFC, thinking back to earlier in the season with US Open Cup, the this rotation isn't new. This is following a script, so to speak, that we've started with those other weeks. And we can see the writing on the wall of what we're going to do on Thursday. But that said, I still don't think we performed overly bad, at least as bad as the knee jerk reactions were on Sunday night. No. And actually the team, um, the first 10 minutes were, were really good. Yes. And, uh, in my head I was, I was thinking, Hmm, this is looking, um, like that game against LAFC where everybody was, so skeptical about the lineup and, and thought uh, LAFC was going to run over St. Louis. Uh, but see, this lineup was hanging out with uh, Columbus and even there were some chances to to score. Um, but then uh, basically, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it, it wasn't a bad performance overall. It's just that um, the goals from Columbus came uh, um, basically after City was doing so well. Columbus score and then um, 15, 20 minutes later, second goal. But um, yeah, I, I, I like, um, I don't think it was a bad performance uh, by this group of players. Uh, ben Loon, regardless of what happened on the first goal, uh, also uh, I think have a, a good performance. I think it took him a while to uh, to get there. But uh, but yeah, some positives from, 
from this game against Columbus. Yeah, and so Bradley Carnell's post-game comments really spoke to that. He did say that we started the game pretty well, you know, nearly got a goal in the first couple of minutes, and then small moments define games, right? So two set pieces, and then we're caught behind the eight ball. And this comes on the heels of the players on both sides. So this wasn't just a city issue, but on both sides dealing with the massive weather delay, the nearly four-hour, the three-and-a-half-plus-hour weather delay that saw the players have to have to adapt to changing circumstances very quickly. So by the ends of the night, they're around 10, 10.30 central time. You're looking at the players being told that, okay, we're going to give it five more minutes, mm-hmm. and if, if, we, if we can't go, then we're going to call it. And then 10 minutes go by, and the players get another update that we're going to give it another five minutes. These are the things that the players were dealing with mentally going into that. So you can't fault either team for starting off a little slow, and you never know what would have happened if the Edu Leuven shot about 20 seconds into the match would have gone in because after coming off of a 50-50 ball right there at the beginning, Leuven had the, a great opportunity to get us started and really set the tone. And if that ball goes in, everything changes. And those first few opportunities that City had and the early jitters that Lunt seemed to have early on as far as directing and moving and being able to, to position himself – that might have all gone away. There could have been a weight lifted off their shoulders, but instead we got what happened at 11 minutes. So let's let's lead up to and set the stage for the first goal as we like to do here. Play was leading up to the foul that that was, you know, to be called for the free kick. City forcing a turnover deep in their own zone, trying to clear it out. It was recovered by Columbus in their attacking half still. City was unable to clear it out. The ball was played up through through Nagby in the midfield. And he kind of circled around Miggy Perez into the attacking third when John Bell fouled him hard. I think John Bell was lucky not to get a yellow card on this one because it was a pretty egregious foul after uh, Darlington Nagby had played Miguel Perez pretty well. Obviously, Nagby is the seasoned veteran that he is, and he showed it in this game. But after Nagby did that, earned the foul just outside of the box, the free kick, Santi, I'm, I want to hear your opinion because this free kick seemed to have a lot of confusion around player spots, around direction. Ben Lute called everybody to go to the left after they were already setting up on the wall. Lucas Bartlett in the middle of the wall in particular really seemed to turn around and just double check a few times to make sure. I don't recall seeing this level of confusion with Roman Berkey directing with Tim Parker out there. So this seemed to be the first real big lack of leadership playing a factor in what was going on with our set piece defenses there were some thumbs up scenarios by Bartlett if you watch the replays. And then as the whistle blows, Salio Pompeu, who had set himself up on the left side of the goal to defend where Lunt was in the middle, maybe cheating a bit to the right, whistle blows and Salio sprints away from his spot in the goal on the left side to be near the wall. But he was just that. He was near the wall. He left a huge gap between himself and the wall, and he looked so uncomfortable. He looked so uncertain when he when he arrived in that position. He's looking back. If you watch the replay, and I'm getting a little like I'm getting a little animated here because I can't believe this happened. He gets to the wall, leaves a gap, and looks back at Ben Lunt as Zellerion approaches the ball to kick it. And once once that happens, we've talked about what a skilled striker can do in that scenario. What Edu Leuven did. Uh, against Miami the other week, able to make yep. that adjustment so quick. Zellerion sees that. He sees that exact hole that he wants on the right side. He sees the gap appear to the wall, and he takes full advantage of it, and suddenly it's one nothing Columbus. Yeah, I it was very confusing. I had no idea what, what was going on. Uh, 
not sure if there was a miscommunication between Celio and Ben Lund. Uh, but yeah, when I saw um, Celio like leaving his spot uh, and going by the by the wall, but at the same time being very far from it, I I, I had a feeling something bad was going to happen. Yeah. And yeah, you you cannot give that advantage to somebody like Lucas Celarayan, but. But yeah, I think there was a miscommunication um, in that play um, because yeah, if Celio was gonna be by the post, um, the placement that Ben Lut Ben Lut had was okay. But um, once Celio left that spot, I think uh, Ben Lut didn't adjust, and it could be that there wasn't enough time to make that adjustment because just Larry Down went went for it right away. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, just an unfortunate play. Uh, lack of communication um, and a lot of things happened during that play and and yeah Celarajan basically cash out and that's what happens when you when you give that opportunity to that skilled type of a player that elite talent on Columbus he's going to make you pay and an elite talent made us pay in the 29th minute as well but this run of play kind of was embodying the concept that our midfield was overrun for large majorities of the game. And when our midfield was overrun, it opened up the wings for Columbus. So setting the stage, Columbus's center back, Zawadzki, was playing the ball around 27, 28 minutes, straight up the midfield, carrying the ball, had to have been at least 20 yards himself, passes passes a few city players, kicks it wide right to Muhammad Farsi, who finds an overlapping Christian Ramirez, both of them playing very close and very tight on the right-hand side. Ramirez ran to the end line with the ball after receiving the pass from Farsi, and then he crossed it down to Kucha Hernandez, who kicks it up in the box, and it just hits Lucas Bartlett's arm. For whatever reason, was the most outstretched arm I've seen of any City player all season. <laughs> and you have the easy handball call, you have the easy PK decision, and Kucho just buries it to Ben Lutz left. Suddenly the crew are up 2 nothing, just 29 minutes into it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was um, at least during that half, um, Columbus basically overplayed um, City. One thing, uh, and and we were this this was discussed uh, during um, during flyover footy um, a little bit. Um, Columbus being uh, like really good um, with passing. Uh, they were so quick and they didn't really give time to uh, City to press and uh, recover the ball. And yep. they they just uh, were really good at passing uh, quick passes. And uh, you could see that uh, during the first half, uh, they, they were basically playing better and, and created chances and um, basically not giving the ball to City. Yeah, the... the- not just in the first half, but especially up until the subs really started to make a difference. This was the the worrisome match we thought that Columbus would give us. Short passes, a lot of possession, a lot of moving the ball very intentionally through their midfield and then opening up space in the channels and especially on the wings. They were very successful after a, a city attempt at the beginning of the game. And at halftime, we saw the sub that a lot of us were really wanting to see, or at least we saw an entrance of a player we were wanting to see as Jabulu Blom enters the game. And we knew that when we didn't see Bloom or Bloom in the starting lineup, that it was likely he was going to see minutes in the second, and we hope to see him Thursday. But the move to bring him in for Tomas Ostrak was calculated in the sense that it moved Edu Leuven up to the 10, where he mm-hmm. had been playing more of a central midfield role in the first half. And this got a lot of 
this, this, I think organized our midfield very well. It added yeah. a lot more stability because it took pressure off of Miguel Perez and it let Jabulu Blom defend and really control the space that he's used to controlling against an Aiden Morris and against a Darlington Nagby. And it really, it really presented itself well, almost too well, because it, I think in, in, the way I was watching it, it gave our backline a little confidence and almost too much confidence because in the 53rd minute, there was a, a third goal that was called off due to offsides, but it was just, just barely offsides. And that, that was, I think, the, the indicator that we're starting to get a little confidence going. They built from the back into Darlington Nagme, Columbus did at midfield. St. Louis was keeping a very high line here around 53 minutes. Nagby caught the ball in transition from Aiden Morris through the middle, made it past Lucas Bartlett, made it past Miguel Perez. And then he found Yaboa on the left side, who then slid it through Christian Ramirez after passing both of our fullbacks. So this was a very, we got lucky type of a moment, I think, because Johnny Nelson was very close to keeping mm-hmm. Yaboa on side. That was, that was, if they had gone to VAR, that would have been an interesting call, but thankfully it didn't work. And St. Louis was able to make some more subs. And then you saw the tactical change really start to go through. You see subs changing everything up as St. Louis brings in Nico Joachini and AZ Jackson for Sam Adeneron, Edu Leuven. Columbus makes some changes. And then at 77 minutes, we bring in Jared Stroud and Indiana Vasilev for Rasmus Allman, Miggy Perez, who themselves had, I believe, off nights in my opinion. And that's when it all kind of came to be where you get Jared Stroud in, who is just a firecracker unto himself. When you bring him in late in the game, it lets him be just unleashed without having to worry about saving his stamina. And I I enjoyed seeing Jared Stroud in this role because it felt like he was running all over the field. And this is how we got into the situation of the Indiana Vassilov corner leading to the one St. Louis goal of the night where the crew were possessing the ball from their back. They seemed a little lackadaisical for lack of a better term. Celio Pompeo and Jared Stroud both swarmed and forced a turnover on City's left-hand side. Stroud quickly recovered it, got it into Nico Joachini in the box where it was cleared. Indiana Vasilev goes for the corner. What did you think of, what did you think of the corner? What did you think of the way that we played in the second half? I I think um, it was a better second half, especially after the subs. As you said, uh, maybe um, players like Alm and Paris um, didn't have a, a great night, and uh, when it, when Stroud and Basi left, um, came in the team uh, played better, and and then the goal, um, yeah, just um, Nico uh, Nico again um, participating in a set piece, and uh, and then uh, it bounced on uh, Russell Rowe, and and um, basically ended up being a non goal, but um, again St. Louis showing uh, that it is strong with the set pieces. Uh, which is great, but at the same time, uh, and I think you're going to mention this um, later on, at the same time it's worrisome that uh, yeah. we haven't scored in open play in a while. Yeah, that's that's the stat, and that's one of my takeaways here too because from this game, I think despite the rotation, despite the fact that we are likely to see a different roster almost entirely, uh, in, in my opinion, against Club America, I think there are some takeaways from this and and they do go into how especially tactical adjustments can be made in second halves where we do start our best 11. So this one in particular, we touched on it. Our back line seemed to have a very clear lack of leadership, lack of communication at times that at least with the first goal, I am confident in saying that contributed. Something was off. Our midfield in general was being overrun regularly. 
Miguel Perez seemed to be outmatched by Darlington Nagby and Aiden Morris. And that's not a surprise. That's not a dig on Miggy Perez. It's just the experience. It's the the high level of skill by a Nagby and by an Aiden Morris, both national team players in their own rights. And they were so smooth in the midfield that allowed their wings to be opened up. It was textbook to what they had done so well so many times this year. And we weren't able to stop that. That led to a lot of the opportunities for the Columbus crew. But Ben Lunt, I, I don't want to go without talking about Ben Lunt because I'll just say FOTMOB gave him an 8.3 out of a 10. And for anybody who looks at FOTMOB ratings, look at, look at the advanced stats, look inside those numbers. He had seven overall saves. He had five diving saves. He had six saves inside the box. And he had zero goals conceded during the run of play. Like this is a, this is a thing for us. If you separate out set pieces from open play goals, you can see differences. You can see themes emerge on both our defensive and offensive sides because it can easily be argued that Ben Lute had a terrific game with the biggest question being what happened on that 11-minute Lucas Zellerian <laughs> goal. That goal changed. Bradley Carnell talks about moments defining everything. Yeah. That was the defining moment in this game, and it didn't have anything to do, in my opinion, with Ben Lute's technical ability or his goalkeeping ability it had to do with maybe his leadership of the back line or his comfortability, his um, experience in those types of settings this year. And that can be remedied with time. That can be remedied with more experience in those types of moments. But his, his skill between the pipes was unquestioned in that game. He had a very good game in the run of play, and I don't think that can go unnoticed. Absolutely. Um, great second half, and... Uh, I was mentioning before we, we started to record, uh, yeah, I think it just took him a while to uh, to get the confidence. And obviously after the goal, probably uh, he had a, a setback there. But um, during the first 20 minutes, uh, like especially on crosses, um, I could see he was tentative and he, he wasn't coming out uh, and he was basically standing by the line. But... But then uh, he bounced back and uh, made all of those saves. It, the score could have been uh, like three, four goals uh, more than uh, what what it said. But uh, yeah, he came through, and it's good to to see that that he's a reliable backup. Uh, and uh, games like this is when when you when you can see uh, players like him uh, that are backups uh, getting minutes and getting confidence and showing that that they could be reliable if, if their number is called. Absolutely. And against a, a, an opponent like this, Columbus Crew, sixth in the East, on a, on a good streak of their own, especially at home, this is the level of competition you want Ben Lute to be exposed to. And that brings us to some of the facts and some of the where do we go from here leading into Club America. I want to note that St. Louis, like I said, allowed zero open play goals in this game. But on the flip side, St. Louis has not scored a goal in open play since July 8th against Toronto. This is the problem that you alluded to earlier that we need to remedy. And we need to remedy fast if we're going to be successful both in this tournament and down the stretch. We, As much as we have had success in set pieces, both with corners and free kicks, we can't rely on that as our only means to score goals. And our mm -hmm. last goal being AZ Jackson's goal from Akil Watts in the 50th minute against Toronto. It's been 310 minutes across more than three matches since we've had an open play goal. This is including the entire time period of Sam Adenaron being with the team where Sam's had three goals, and that's been fantastic. 
but two have been from corners and one has been from a PK. Sam Adeneron hasn't led to St. Louis scoring goals in the run of play. That's still a problem. And, and we had a solution. We had some solutions that we were working through before Leuven went out on injury, where Indiana Vasilev was being more of a player, where Nico Joachini was finding some successes, and we were able to string things together in open play. But that's all but dried up. And we need to start finding ways to score in the run of play if we want to have success against Club America, I think, but also looking ahead to Austin when we restart MLS play. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully uh, on Thursday against Club America, uh, I'm interested to interested in seeing, uh, and you were alluding to uh, how the team was finding um, ways to score uh, with Basilev playing as a 10. The, the one thing is that now you also have AC Jackson, but uh, I think um, I'm looking forward and not sure if this will be the lineup, but uh, if Basilev, Jackson, Lugan are in the lineup, I, I, I will be interested in seeing what, what they could do and how, how that will impact uh, the teams offensively. Yeah, put a pin in that because I want to talk about that when we talk about our lineup for Club America. And there's there's going to be an odd man out between Stroud, Vasilev, <laughs> AZ, Leuven, and Blom. I think that I, I don't see a way in which there's not an odd man out. But pause that for a moment. Santi, we have a Club America preview to get to. And this is very different than a lot of our other previews where it's easy to find information on MLS sides. You can just go to MLSsoccer.com. You can see what you want to see. This is a team that we very, very well only play once this year and maybe the only time we'll ever play this team. You never know. There are only special circumstances in which a game like this can happen. And a first-of-its-kind League's Cup is a fantastic opportunity to play the most historic, the most popular team in Mexico, and one of the most internationally renowned teams that will ever come to City Park, let alone has been there yet. But who is Club America? What's their history? And... What do we need to know about them to enjoy the match a little bit more? Um, let's start with the history of the club. Founded in 1916, where it was a consolidation of Record and Colón, two collegiate club teams that then took on the name America, since it was founded on October 12th, 1916, which was Columbus Day, or Santi, help me out with this. Dia del Descubrimiento de América, which basically is when America was discovered by Christo, Christopher Columbus. Perfect. I knew there was an America in there somewhere. <laughs> Sorry I, about I, that. I am, not, I am not confident enough in my, uh, my Spanish to attempt that word, and I don't want that to be on record. <laughs> I'm leaving that one up to you and your capable um, linguistic abilities. Thank you so much for that. The colors of Club America are yellow and blue. Their crest is an overlapping C and A for Club and America. It's only had one massive change. Kind of in the 1920s, the club was briefly renamed Club Union, but reverted back to Club America. And then they added a map of the Americas behind the C and the A, encased it in a football. And so was born the crest that, for the most part, has stayed pretty similar. It's had some changes here and there aesthetically, but not unlike a lot of the big European teams we're familiar with, uh, they've, they've kept that aesthetic mostly the same. So in 1942, then fast forward a little bit, the first Mexican National League was formed, Liga Mayor. During this time, America's intense rivalry with Club Deportivo Guadalajara, Chivas, was born. Their, Chivas is their biggest rival, and Chivas playing Sporting Kansas City in their next is kind of poetic in that way. Uh, the current format for Club America's league play, uh, Liga MX or Liga MX, 
uses a split season system. So if you compare it to a European system that goes fall to spring, you compare it to MLS that goes uh, spring to fall. The current format being split starts with an Apertura running from July to December and a Clausura running from January to May. It's basically split season. There's a champion of each. And then at the end of the season, the Campeón de Campeones is crowned in a match between the two winners. Anything to add about the format, Santi? No, that's that's uh, the way a lot of leagues are played in uh, South America and Latin America. Um, but yeah, it's it's just different. And uh, even with two tournaments, they still do uh, playoffs and uh, like eight teams qualified. I think they recently inserted uh, something similar to what the NBA does with those playing games. Well, actually, the M- MLS is going to do that too. Uh, this year with eight and nine uh, playing uh, for a spot in the conference quarterfinals. But um, yeah, they even with two tournaments, they have time to do a uh, playing game, quarterfinals, semifinals. And and it's a uh, away and away match. It's not, it's not single elimination. Uh, you play two games and uh, um, each team hosts um, a game. And, and then whoever gets the most points um, advances. But yeah, that Mexico has been doing uh, that format for a while. So we talk about fixture congestion for us. That sounds intense for them. Yeah, and they also have something similar to the U.S. Open Cup, but somehow they they manage it. And Club America is probably the perfect club that we can discuss a lot of those tournaments because they've been so successful. And where have they been successful? Probably the most famous stadium in all of Mexico. Their home since 1966 is the Estadio Azteca in Mexico City, also home to Cruz Azul and the Mexican national team with a capacity of 87,523. But they've held as many, and this is a record that I saw, 132,247 for a boxing match in 1993. If you can picture how small a boxing ring is, I, I can't imagine fitting that many people into the Estadio Azteca, but that would be quite a sight and quite, a, quite an experience. But Santi, the success of Club America... In addition to being what I've read up on as universally known, the most popular and the most hated club in Mexico, depending on who yeah. you ask, I think of Arsenal in this regard because in, in Europe, I know there's a lot of passionate Arsenal fans, there's a lot of passionate gunners, but there's also a lot of passionate hate for the club. And, and when you're successful, that draws hate if you're not a supporter of the club. America is the most decorated club in Mexico. 13 league titles, six Copa Mexico championships, six Campeón de Campeones Cups. They're record holders for the most league and cup titles, and they trail Chivas by just one Campeón de Campeones Cups. They've also won seven CONCACAF Champions League titles, five of them while it was known as the Champions Cup. They've got a CONCACAF Giants Cup, two Copa Interamericanes, an old North and South America club contest that existed. I probably butchered that word because I just went for it. Yeah, Interamericana. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Their most recent success is the 2018 Apertura and the 2019 Closera with the 2019 Campeón de Campeones title being theirs as well. So it's been a few years since they've really found success, and that probably explains why they're coming to St. Louis with a first-year manager in Andre Jardim, who took over for the club just a month ago on June 16th, 2023. He's just the third Brazilian manager for Club America, and this is kind of a big deal, having a brand new coach, brand new manager for such a historic team, and their their entrance to St. Louis being 
hot off the heels of his hire, this has got to be a highly visible thing for them as well. Yeah, it's going to be a, a big test uh, for Andre Dardine. He um, he won the uh, gold medal with uh, Brazil in the last Olympics, so he's a high-profile coach. Um, the the one thing uh, that is not going to be in his favor is that uh, the season uh, for Liga MX just started, and Club America has only played two games. It was supposed to be three up to this point, but uh, their second game, they had a schedule that uh, got uh, postponed due to an issue with the, um, with the grass at the stadium where they were going to play. So only have, have only played two games. The last one was on July 15. So um, they are coming to St. Louis uh, with a few days uh, between games. Yeah, and, and this is going to be as much of a test for them as it is for us. Santi, they've got some interesting players to watch for, and they've been a player in the transfer market as well. So knowing that they led last year, they led Liga MX with 74 goals, they've bolstered their attack. So we know the history. We've got an idea of who Club America are coming into this, kind of what the stakes are of such a recognized club. Can you give us some players to watch for in this matchup? Absolutely. So um, they have um, Henry Martin, uh, he um, he has been with the club since 2018. He plays for the Mexican national team. Um, you mentioned that they also move in the transfer market um, before this season. So they got a couple of players. Um, Kevin Alvarez, um, they paid $10 million to Pachuca to get Kevin Alvarez. He's tw- a 24-year-old, plays as a right back for... Um, plays as a right back, and he's, he also plays for the Mexican national team. Um, the one, uh, this one I'm really excited about, and I guess I'm biased because he's Colombian, yep. but uh, also has a, a great story, um, Julian Quinones. Um, he was also acquired for over $9 million, and he did great with Atlas, and um he has been doing great in Liga MX. Uh, it's a great story. If you if you have a chance to uh, to check uh, how he got to Mexico, it's it's a really nice story. Uh, basically, um, long story short, I'm gonna say that Tigres, another team from Mexico, they had um, an agreement with a youth club club in Colombia, and um, they bring players to uh, to Mexico, and uh, some of them have play for Tigres. Uh, some of them have played in second division and Julian Quinones was one of them and ended up going to Atlas and now he's with Club America. He uh, obviously he just he was signed uh, for this season. So, so far he has only played um, in that last game in July 15, but he scored. So he's one player to keep an eye on. And they also have Jonathan Dos Santos, uh, known for uh, playing in the Mexican national team. He also played for um, Barcelona, played for LA Galaxy. So uh, MLS fans may know him a little bit, but um, this Club America always has uh, big stars and um, that's what it's also known for, uh, all those titles. And uh, a lot of uh, players um, that had success with the Mexican team, with the Mexican national team or with other national teams also uh, played for America. So, so yeah, uh, as you were saying, they haven't won Liga MX in a while, but still 
the big, the biggest club in Mexico, and um, it's going to be a big test for St. Louis City on Thursday. A lot to prove. Their season's young, like you said. They've just played two games. They're sitting 12th in the Apertura under first-year head coach Andre Yardin. They've been running kind of a 4-2-3-1 formation that we can look for with Quinones up top in the last game. I think that was his first game with the club, if I recall. And they have a high-scoring attack. I mean, this, like I said, they led Liga MX last year with 74 goals, and that's before adding Quinones. So this is a club that's going to take it to St. Louis. They're going to have shots on goal. They're going to press. They're going to uh, really try to attack our defense. And they're going to try and work through a lot of the space that that Quinones can create. I think this is the game that when you look to what just happened with Columbus, you look to what Club America is capable of, especially with their new signings, you want your best possible defense in this game. And so knowing what happened with Columbus, you're expecting – Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, probably Josh Yarrow and Akil Watts to all show up for this game for St. Louis. You need to keep up that speed and intensity, close gaps, own a lot of these 1v1s. Some of the some of the areas that we were a little deficient in against Columbus, but we've had so much success in in four out of our last five games in MLS play. And the other player for me that's really going to be key that I think needs to start, assuming all is healthy, is Jabulu Blom. Has to start. Came in at halftime of the last game, as we said, he, he showed himself capable again in the second half. No injury concerns we know of. Is our, our most successful midfielder, the one who owns and is our, our single pivot that dominates a lot of the midfield action. He can, he can create turnovers. He can attack in 1v1s. And he's a game changer both on and off the ball. In addition to that, I think it's going to be interesting. Let's circle back now. Like I said, Stroud, AZ, Vasilev, Leuven. You have an abundance of... Uh, you have an abundance of in-form attackers, assuming Leuven is able to go now because 60 minutes with just a few days rest now. He's the biggest question mark. I think this is an opportunity to run guys out who you're, you now feel like are your best 11, whether that's Nico or Sam up top, whether it's Rasmus Alm. I think I'm comfortable with any of them at this point, but that midfield, this back line, that's who we need to face this Club America team to me. So... Speaking of that midfield, um, who do you think is going to be the odd man out? I don't. Mm, you know, I'm talking. I'm. I'm going to talk myself out of it. I'm going to say we put them all on <laughs> because why not run a four-two-three-one with this one? Let's let's look. Let's look at that. So we'll have Berkey's back, Hebert, Parker, Yarrow, Watts on the back line. You run mm-hmm. in. Jabulu Blom at the six, Edu Leuven at the eight. You have Jared Stroud, AZ, and Indiana Vasilev left to right. And then you run Nico Joachini up top. I think that is a capable lineup. You can you can have AZ. There's so many, so many creative options you can have with, with Blom, AZ, Leuven, and Nico right up that spine. Because we've seen success with Blom and AZ playing closely together in MLS play. You've seen yeah. success with AZ and Nico kind of playing tight and allowing a lot of those overlapping runs. And then this gives a lot of freedom to our wings, Jared Stroud and Indiana Vasilev, in what they can do on the left and right sides. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty good. Uh, you almost sold me, sold, sold <laughs> me into it. But uh, but no, I think um, I think it's going to be that diamond midfield uh, with Blom. Lewin, Basilev, and AC Jackson. So mm. I guess in that case, the old man out will be Stroud. 
That's fair. And hey, if Jared Stroud comes on in the second half with the energy and stamina that he did against Columbus, I'm all for it because Mighty Mouse can make things happen. And that was fun to watch him run around and disrupt that, that way. I think that would be an asset in the second half. I'd be excited to see it. But we are 0-1 right now in Leagues Cup, Santi. As we wrap this up, let's let's get in the minds of what is our path to the knockout rounds because this is our last match in group stage. It could be our last match for three and a half weeks of official action for City. So what do we need to do to move on to the knockout rounds? Winning would help. So having an actual win, three points from Club America is the best possible outcome. But what happens if we are tied for one of those first two spots? Because we know that the top two in this group go forward. We know that um, the, the third will go home. And we are currently just sitting in last place by sheer the fact that we lost. So having one goal for, two goals against, and a minus one goal differential, let's look quickly at... What happens at the end of the group stage if two or more clubs are tied in points or their position on the table? The tiebreakers are direct head-to-head match results between tied clubs, and for clarity, a win in PKs is a win for purposes of the tiebreaker. So don't forget, ties go to PKs. Mm -hmm. The second tiebreaker, if, for instance, if Columbus had beaten us, which they did, if we beat Club America, and then if Club America beats Columbus... All three teams have direct head-to-head wins against each other. All three teams have the same points. The better goal differential between goals scored and goals conceded during group stage is the next tiebreaker. So our goal differential right now is minus one. Going to have to improve that. Obviously, a win would help. The next one after that is the greater number of goals scored during the group stage, so goals four. And then it goes fewer number of goals conceded, so goals against. And then club's fair play table is entering the equation where the number of yellows and reds start that that is accumulated starts to be a factor. We I think the euros were the last time I remember that being discussed as um, a possible tiebreaker. Hopefully we don't get to that. The last but it, tiebreaker, but it didn't. But it didn't happen, right? No, it didn't end up going to that. Correct. Okay, it, it was just it a, did happen. It did happen in 2018 in the World Cup. Um, that's right. I, I, rem- I remember because he was in Colombia's group. Uh, Japan and Senegal, they basically were tied for on all the tie-breaking tie items, and uh, it came it came to uh, fair play, and Japan advanced. God. The only thing worse than that is the last one. And so if all teams' <laughs> head-to-head records, if every team is, is the same on points, if the direct head-to-head matches are the same, if the goal differentials are the same, if goals scored, goals allowed, and fair play numbers are the same, the winner will be chosen in a draw organized by the organizing committee. We're talking about old school coin flips. We're talking drawing your name out of a hat would, would determine who moves on. Let's just hope against everything that the soccer gods have for us that we don't have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. a lot of things will need to happen for it to come to that. Uh, but it, it could, um, like if, if City... Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could come to that. But let's not let's not think about it. I think uh, City um, needs to worry about winning, and and uh, hopefully um, by more than one goal that will put in a, in a good position, uh, and then wait to see what happens between Columbus and and Club America. But City could also win. I, I mean, not win a uh, tie, and then uh, win in the, in PKs and still have a chance if uh, America if doesn't doesn't beat Columbus uh, right. or if they tie and they don't win in penalty kicks. So, but yeah, I think uh, city just needs to worry about 
winning the game and um, mm-hmm. basically uh, putting the best 11 there to um, to win at City Park and and uh, hopefully get a chance to uh, get another um, League's Cup game. Let's hope so, because the, the standings in group stage determine who gets to host the next round, and we've put ourselves in a rough position. But Santi, we've talked about the high-octane attack that Club America has. We've talked about how City rested a lot of their potential starters for Thursday. How do you see this one playing out? Can we pull off the win at City Park? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm confident that City will will pull it out. Uh, is it time to make a prediction? Yes, it is. Okay, so I have City winning two to one. I'm gonna echo that. I'm gonna echo it because I think Club America is going to have. They're gonna make this a hard fought game. The goals are going to be hard to come by, but both teams are very talented. And you talked about the transfer fees for some of those players, for Alvarez and for Quinones, nine and ten million dollars. These are these are elite talents that that Club America has brought in to bolster their offense and defense. And so St. Louis is going to really need to leverage the entire the entire crowd, the entire uh, just vibe at City Park. Everything that the fans can bring is going to be needed for this one. And it's going to be quite the contest. International eyes are going to be on this one. It'll be a fun one. And I hope we pull out the win. I hope it ends up being at least two to one and we end up in positive goal differential. It'll be, it'll be fun to see either way. Santi, that's it for us right now. Um, full disclosure, I have absolutely no idea when the next flyover footy is going to come out. It might come out Friday. It might come out Saturday. A game on Thursday, and nobody talked to us either. Nobody talked to us about the fact that we record on a Thursday right. night when they schedule well, this match. League's Cup, come on. So aside from all the League's Cup travel issues that Club Leon's dealing with, that uh, the the match had to deal with against Columbus, they didn't ask us about their, their scheduling. So I'm a little hurt about that. Yeah, but I'm disappointed. We'll have a recap whenever we can this weekend. We'll get it to you, and we'll figure out what comes next. That's the big thing about Flyover Footy later this week is we'll have more information on what we can expect going forward and knowing what we need to watch for in next week's Columbus Crew against Club America. But for now, all eyes are on Thursday. All eyes are on Club America at City Park, the biggest international competition that City has had so far and the quite possibly the biggest match that we've had at City Park in our, our young season. So I'm excited, Santi. Yeah, I'm excited too. It's going to be really exciting at, at City Park. Uh, and yeah, international game against um, Club America. So the crowd may be a little bit different. Um, there'll probably be uh, a few more fans from Club America, a few more fans than what we usually see for away games. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the atmosphere at City Park and and all the stuff that um, will, will will happen on Thursday night. And I believe the reason that it's so late at night is that part of a, a double header that's going on on whoever has the rights for the broadcast in Mexico. I think Cincinnati gets the early game at seven and then we have the late game. Luck of the draw, but it's going to have national eyes on us on Mexico. So that's better for St. Louis. Let's stay up late. Let's party into the night. I hope Jennifer B. didn't jinx it. Uh, she, she just said it's going to start really late after we have our rain delay. <laughs> You know, this game could very well end before the Columbus game started, and that's just something <laughs> oh, that... Oh, no. Yeah, what a wild week. But, Santi, that's all the time we got today. Uh, thanks for talking this through. Thanks for joining us on Flyover Footy. Uh, I'm Matt Baker, Santiago Beltran. Have a great week. 
Enjoy the match on Thursday and... Vamos City!